Welcome to another Extra Podcast. My name is Thalia, one of the pastors on staff here, and it's been a while since I've been a pod- on a podcast. This is from Northview Community Church. We are a number of campuses, but we are meeting at the Downs Road campus. And then there's Mission and East Abbey and Tri-City and Downs Road. So, And you still work at Northview, yes. Thalia? I have so many people that are concerned that now that East Abbey has sucked you in, <laughs> that you're never here, they can't come to you for counseling, all these I know. pieces. Uh, people are worried. Yeah. So introduce yourself, Crystal. My name is Crystal. I'm the pastor of discipleship and women at Northview Church, mm-hmm. and I get to rove around. Yeah. Last night I was in mission for our women's Christmas party out there, which is really fun. Yeah, that'd be good. Yep. And doing our tech for us is Josh Amazonas, one of our interns, and he may or may not pitch in. He's <laughs> nodding and smiling, so that's good. We're thankful to have him here. We used to have to do this ourselves, and we would mess it up. Yeah. There were times Things when we recorded a, a podcast and it didn't record. And then we would finish the podcast, we think we're done, and nothing. No. So it's just Crystal and I today, and we are thankful to be here. The topic today is, is it really the most wonderful time of the year? And we know that it is not really the most wonderful time of the year for a lot of us. Yeah, you've been having a lot of people in your office wanting to talk about things as they enter this Christmas season. I was begging to do this podcast on grief for a few weeks already because that's primarily what I've been doing over the last few weeks. I've been meeting with all kinds of people who are really hurting. And it feels like we're hurting extra when it's December. Yeah. So we're doing this podcast not to be a downer on all of us as we enter the Christmas season, but to help all of us equip ourselves Mm -hmm. uh, for helping the people in our midst or for even ourselves thinking through um, expectations around Christmas um, and how we can maybe have healthy ones that can help ourselves and our loved ones as we go into the season. Yeah, because we have a lot of cultural expectations. Yeah. We think it should be the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah. Even the Charlie Brown Christmas story, oh, yeah. right? All those expectations are embedded in there that yeah. you should have the perfect tree and have the perfect things perfect to come together. Perfect family and the perfect presents and everyone's going to get along and you're going to have fabulous food and nothing's going to be burnt and no traffic jams and no lineups and no presents you don't like. And I mean, the Hallmark movies just sort of sell it for us and all the commercials, they sound really good. Yeah. Everybody gets puppies at Christmas and <laughs> all those kinds of things. And so we think, hmm. We should have like pain-free from December 1st to January 1st. There should be no pain and suffering. That's what we kind of think. Yeah. We think it's kind of immune, a time of year where, yeah, yeah, God came to earth and so we should just have peace on earth. Yeah. And so if something bad happens in December, most of us shake our fist at God. We're angrier then than if it happened in the rest of the year. Yeah. And we're more upset and we think it's so unfair that this has happened so close to Christmas. Yeah. Expectations have a huge way of, um, yeah, influencing the way that we deal with something that we're work- walking through, right? Yeah. Whether we're when we're expecting it to be a time of year that has a certain ring to it, and th- different things happen, it, it's even harder to deal with. It is, and we know biblically that there is no kind of bubble, protective bubble around the Christmas season. That pain and suffering does happen all through the year, which is hard to come to grips with. Yep. In John sixteen verse thirty three, it says. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Yeah. I was reading just recently the book of Matthew. Um, I started 
finished off the book of Exodus because I'm working on that for our studies and started in Matthew and just even reflecting on the very first Christmas season, like there was a lot of craziness going on there with Mary and Joseph fleeing Mm -hmm. from uh, Herod, who was about to try to kill Jesus, even the stress around their own marriage relationship as to whether or not they would stay together because Joseph wasn't sure that Mary was telling him the truth. There's all kinds of uh, drama and uncertainty and pain and yeah, yeah. hardship and suffering around the very first Christmas. Yeah. And giving birth in a barn. Yep. Like they would need trauma counseling if it was today. You'd have all kinds of counselors yeah, surrounding refugees them. refugees running for their lives. That's true. Right? Yeah. And so we need to make sure that we have our expectations aligned with what's true biblically. So the one of the difficulties is that people come to meet with me with all kinds of pain and suffering, and they don't always realize that what they're dealing with is grief. Like it's easier to understand grief if it is a clear death, mm-hmm. like a family member, a friend, someone close to you has died. We understand grief, that someone will be grieving. So what would be other circumstances where people might not see it, but mm-hmm. you have helped them identify it as grief? So very recently I met with a teenager and her parents. They've moved from a different part of the world. And this teenager is now here in Abbotsford and grieving the loss, although she didn't recognize it as such, but missing her church, her school, her friends, even the weather. And as a result, I think she's in a mild form of depression and Mm -hmm. she's been toying with cutting and skipping school and not doing her hobbies and not engaging with friends. And it's hard to be at youth and all those kinds of things that we're going to talk about. And her parents didn't know what to do with her. And when I listened to what's been going on, I said, oh, you're grieving. And then all of a sudden there's a framework to understand what's going on. Which is, yeah, why we're doing that podcast, this podcast, to try and give us that idea of what that framework is. Because it could be things like a loss of a job. Yes. um, Something that you've fully invested in, just a change of status um, in terms of maybe you've had some kind of accident and you're not able to do the things that you were before. Yeah. Or you've been in some kind of traumatic event and it's not, it's affected you in a Mm -hmm. way that you haven't... That you're grieving the loss of who you were before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My husband, Mark, is uh, dealing with grief because his mom has dementia and she's in a care home and she can no longer communicate with us and she doesn't remember the names of her family members. Yeah. It looks like her eyes light up when we meet with her, but that's kind of all you get. And so he doesn't have his mom anymore, although he does in body form, but not as his mom as he remembers. And that's really painful. Yeah. You go to the family gatherings and she's just, if she's there, she's physically there, but not mentally or emotionally there for them anymore. And then there's, I've met with people recently who are trying to decide if their elderly parents or grandparents need to be in a care home. So there's the loss of realizing that their parents are no longer capable as they once were. And they can't participate the same way and they can't do the things they did before. And it's really painful. Yeah. Never mind the people who come who've lost a pregnancy or a young child or teenager, young adult. We've had some significant accidents in our community mm-hmm. this fall that have really impacted people. Yeah. Um, and so there are people that are deeply grieving and don't always realize that the, the symptoms they're experiencing are grief. Yeah. And I say, yes, well, let's talk about then what's normal, what's expected. Yeah, that helps people put it into framework. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I usually say to them is, okay, when you think of having a cold or the flu, Crystal, Mm -hmm. how do you know if you have the flu or if you have a cold? Uh, A cold will probably come with some symptoms like a runny nose or a sore throat or headache or something that might be isolated to one part of your body. Yeah. 
a flu would be like kind of low-grade energy, feeling achy all over, wanting to stay in bed, having a fever, yeah. that kind of stuff. You can usually tough it out with a cold, Yeah, come to work, take some aspirin, yeah. get through a day. Uh, flu, you might be stuck in bed for a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. And we learn to... Incapacitated. Yeah, we learn to identify the difference between a cold and a flu. Mm-hmm. And as moms, that's really important because then you can figure out what medicine to give your little kids because they don't know. So we have to know that. But a lot of people don't realize that grief comes with a package of symptoms too. And when you have those package of symptoms, that's normal for grief. Yeah. Because people come to me and they think they're going crazy. They think they maybe need to go to the psych unit or they need to meet with a psychiatrist or they need to be in counseling t- tomorrow or they need medication and they're panicking. Because, because of we, all the symptoms. Yeah. And there's also a kind of a feeling that any kind of this, any kind of anxiety or depression or whatever is yeah. right away is a mental health issue. Right. right. And it may be at certain times, but it may be also just the natural result of something that we're walking through. Yeah. Yeah. And when we have a cold or a flu, we just realize, okay, I've got to get some Tylenol cold or some Advil cold and sinus, or we know the medications that work for us. And we go, oh yeah, this is really awful and it sucks and I better invest in some Kleenex. To it. But we, we kind of know that we can just walk through this and it will get better and pretty soon we'll be healthier again. We sometimes don't think about that with grief. We don't realize that, okay, there are certain things we need to recognize about grief and things we need to do to take care of ourselves in grief, and that eventually it will start to get a little bit better, which could take a long time. Yeah. So So, why don't you talk mm -hmm. to us first about the symptoms, and then we'll talk about the cure. Yeah. So what are symptoms, if people are experiencing this, that they could think maybe that they are walking through grief? Yeah. So if you have paper and a pen, or... In my case, I love my whiteboard. I usually put a big circle on my whiteboard and in the middle, I put the big word grief. And then with the people that meet with me, I start to go around the circle and we start to put the different symptoms of grief, uh, like spokes around the wheel so that we start to outline what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so I usually ask them, what are you experiencing? Mm -hmm. Of course, the first thing that people come up with is like sadness and crying. And we know that that's typical. Also, they'll say, I hardly have any energy, hardly any motivation or I'm really restless and I can't settle. I can't focus. I can't think. Yep, that's normal in grief. We are not interested in the things we normally enjoy. Mm-hmm. That's normal. Uh, sometimes we're angry. We're angry at the person who died. We're angry at the person who maybe made us move from one side of the country to the other. Or we're angry at the situation. We blame others. We lash out. That's part of grief. We have certain thoughts that are stuck in our head. Like when you wake up at night and the same thoughts are going round and round or in the day, like it's just on repeat and it plagues us. And sometimes it might be like if you've been in an accident and you remember the accident over and over and over again, or you remember the last moments Mm -hmm. of your mom's life in the hospital and you can't get out of your head. And that's normal. I remember being in a fender bender and for the next few days, you're just reliving the accident. Like that's normal and it's really hard, but it's part of grief. Yep. Uh, difficulty sleeping can be mm-hmm. part of that, especially if your mind is going on a lot of things, right? Yeah. You just can't settle down. Uh, difficulty eating yeah. if you don't have an appetite because nope. you're just feeling like you're just emotionally spent. Yeah. And then exercise can often like just fall off the wagon <laughs> if totally. you're not, if you're feeling tired and sad and low energy and low motivation. Like the last thing you want to do is get out of the house and exercise. And those who love to like run or mountain bike or do those kinds of things can feel a bit panicked because it's something that they've loved to do and it has been an outlet in the past and now they can hardly get any get up and go and they, they don't. And so then they start to think their life is falling apart. Yeah. And will it always be this way? Yeah. There's like a low-grade depression, I'll call it. Like there's an apathy, like who cares, whatever. I don't want to decorate for Christmas. I don't want to put up lights. I don't want to go brave the crowds to buy presents, like whatever. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of fear. 
fear of more loss. There's a fear of enjoying life. Like, I've just lost this person that's really important to me, and now I'm going to a movie. I can laugh. Like, oh, I, I don't know. Is that okay? Yeah. A lot of fears around yeah. stuff. Uh, less care for the way we look. Yeah. Um, sometimes that, um, yeah, that apathy and stuff just translates into a lot of other things. So we won't do our hair. We yeah. We won't put our makeup on. We won't care what we, what we look like. Yeah. So we just care less about our physical appearance. Our kids are at both at Trinity Western University. And of course, when you're at a university with a lot of young people, there's a lot of dating and some engagements. And that's really exciting and great. But quite often, some of those break up. And so my daughter and my son have been walking alongside friends who've been going through significant breakups of their friends. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and the friends are not taking care of themselves. And the mm-hmm. friends aren't eating and sleeping. And the friends are having trouble studying and focusing. And I'm like, yeah, that's a normal part of grief. Just yeah. tell them that's normal and tell them to one foot in front of the other, let's keep going. But yeah. Okay, we'll talk about coping in a minute. <laughs> what else, Crystal? I think what you said is just before we go on, is just so important for people to realize that it won't go on forever. Mm-hmm. I remember when uh, our kids walked through grief for the first time when our dog died. They were like, oh, yeah. am I going to feel this much pain forever? Yeah. And this idea is, is when you walk through grief, once you realize, oh, it does lessen over time. It's just a matter of getting through. Mm-hmm. Um, my aunt, who recently lost her husband, I put something on Facebook the other day talking about grief is not so much um, getting out of the water, but learning how to swim. Yeah. And this idea that we're going to have these waves that crash and hit us, but yeah. it's learning how to swim through them. And yeah. it's not going to last forever to the same intensity, but no. having that perspective that we just need to, but we need to actually go through the right steps in order for us to heal mm-hmm. from it. And I think the expectation that the more significant the loss whether that's death or like a huge move or a job change or something, the more significant it is, the longer it's going to take. Yeah. So we need to be patient with ourselves. Yeah. Like if it's a significant loss, one week is not going to be enough to grieve and kind of get through the process. It might take months or years even. I remember when my brother died a number of years ago, my parents, of course, were devastated. We all were, but as parents, to lose their son was just Mm heart-wrenching. And I remember at year four there was a bit of a change. The first four years were crippling. And then we started to see some light and some humor started to come back. I'm like, okay, this is going to take a while. We're at year 19 now. And there's still deep sadness. We really miss miss him and wish he would come back for dinner. But it's not the same level. Yeah. So I think as we're walking alongside people, we need to not be so quick to say, are are you over it yet? Yeah. (laughs) Or like... Are you better now? Yeah. Because it does take a while and we need to just allow people that space. Yeah. Or just get on with it. it. Yeah. It's like, well. I know. I've had a few people say that in different situations. I'm like, oh, please don't. No. Uh, Sometimes we can have really foggy memory about things. Uh, We can just like, because we're losing concentration or Mm -hmm. like we said, it's just hard for us to kind of concentrate on what's going on. So we might not remember or uh, really be engaged in what's going on around us. Yeah. And everybody responds so differently. So thinking back to when my brother passed away, my mom hardly remembers anything of that first two weeks. Hmm. Whereas my memory, it even 19 years later, is keen. I remember every detail. And I wrote it down a while ago because I wanted to remember every detail, but she has no memory. Hmm. And so it's okay. Whatever way it goes, that's just how it is for you. We all are so different. Yeah. And I think for you at that time, you had two little kids. Yeah. And so you went into like survival mode. Totally. You you still had to be there to take care of your kids. Yeah. And so your grief almost happened even a bit later. Like you kind of had to shelve it for a while because you had to help your kids survive and put on diapers and do all the things. And you're kind of more formally grieved later on, right? Yeah. I 
teach people that sometimes you have to compartmentalize. Yeah. So at the time, Ava was one and I was pregnant with Carter and then soon after gave birth. So I, I, we were in Abbotsford with no family and friends and I was doing it all. And I just literally had to put my grief on a shelf and and almost wait a year. Like I would take it down off this pretend shelf in my mind yeah. every now and then for like 20 minutes while well, they're napping and kind of yeah. think about it. But I couldn't actually grieve until Carter turned one. That's our youngest. Because... And then even then only in pieces while they're napping or whatever, because I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do the day-to-day life circumstances. If you were to walk through it fully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And same with our kids who are in university this, uh, this fall when they lost a classmate, Ava lost a classmate at MEI. It was hard for them to study. Yeah. And it's, so she, I said to her, yes, you might need to put it on the shelf in your brain for an hour, study, write your exam, and then come back and you can grieve again. And you don't need to feel guilty about that. No. Yeah. No. And sometimes that's, people aren't able to do that. Sometimes mm-hmm. the sadness is so overwhelming that we just cry endlessly for a day, two days. It, it's, we're all so different. Mm-hmm. Like there's a little mercy on yourself if you're different than your spouse or different than your sister or different than your friend. It's okay. Yep. Yep. So sneak attacks. Uh, when grief has happened, we can be going along just fine during this day and great and the day's good and then all of a sudden you hear something or you see something and the grief overwhelms you and you uh, burst into tears or something. Uh, surprisingly, that happens to me even 19 years later. If I see someone who looks like my brother or mm-hmm. something like that, I will start crying and my family knows now. I just, <sighs> it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. I just remember <laughs> something. I'll be fine. Just like, you know, just take a moment, it literally like a minute and then I'll, I'll keep going. Yeah. Uh, there's these sneak attacks that we have to expect. It's once you're fine, you're not fully fine. You're going to grieve the rest of your life when you think of your grandma or your close friend or you think of your friends back in another part of the country and you're like, you miss them. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Normal. Yeah. Uh, people going through grief are sometimes less reliable. Yeah. And that's because oftentimes what I find is that people will want to commit to something because they want to get involved and they'll get to that moment and they say, I just actually don't have yeah. what it takes to get through that no. situation, that event, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That is so normal. And so sometimes I'll encourage people to try an event, Mm -hmm. like just have an out, go there with your own vehicle. Don't necessarily go with friends, just go for an hour and see if you can manage it. And if you can, great, stay if you're having a good time. And if you can't manage it, people will be gracious. You just say, I just can't manage it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same if you're grieving, like the loss of a dating relationship or an engaged relationship. Sometimes it's hard to be present where there are other happy couples and things like that. So if you can't manage it, just smile and say, I can't manage it. I need to go. Yeah. But I think doing things in little doses can be healthy, right? Because we can kind of deal with little parts of the pain at a time instead of fully withdrawing from everything. Yeah. Let me briefly talk about grieving kids versus grieving adults. So when I used to work in mental health, we learned that there's a big difference between how kids and young teenagers grieve versus adults. And this is helpful to know if you have anybody like this in your life. So kids grieve in tiny bits and spurts. Like they'll cry and be sad that maybe a divorce has happened. And so daddy's not in the home today or this week. And they'll grieve and cry and they'll be upset, but it might only last five minutes. And then they'll run and play with their toys. And the parents think, what? Are they over it already? Mm-hmm. Are they that shallow? Yeah, are they that shallow? They, what? And so they'll be a little bit upset with their kids. But kids are a little bit up and down and all over the place. And they'll cry themselves to sleep. And the next day they'll play no problem and eat lots of cake and ice cream and run around like crazy. So kids are all over the place. 
adults tend to grieve and grieve deeply down into a pit for a significant amount of time, and then they start to come up out the other side. So kids are a little bit more up and down like a roller coaster. Kids, adults tend to be kind of in it and then slowly out of it. Mm-hmm. Teenagers can be a mix of that. What happens is when a mom or dad is deeply grieving, teenagers and kids kind of know they're deeply grieving, and so they kind of keep it all together, and they look fine. Mm-hmm. Soon as the parents start to come out of their grief and be a bit better, the kids fall off the rails, hmm. and they totally relapse, and all of a sudden they're not studying, and they're acting out, and they're, they're just doing all kinds of things they shouldn't because now they feel like they can grieve because my parents are better. It's yeah. interesting how we kind of watch each other. Yeah. So you can come and talk to me further about that if that's kind of your situation or someone in your family. Uh, that was only a really brief run through, but yeah, it's helpful to know that we grieve differently. Yeah. And spouses, please don't get angry with each other because we are different in how we approach losses. Yeah. So once you've gone through the grief uh, wheel yeah. and kind of helped them understand that what they're experiencing is grief, what do you suggest for them in terms of um, how to cope with it. Because it's not, like we said, you have to walk through it. You have to learn th- to swim through the waves. Mm-hmm. You can't just ignore it. You still have to get through it. So so it's really helpful to see it on a piece of paper or on a board. People find it really good to visualize it and go, okay, this is the package of what I'm dealing with. I get it. I can see it. And then they feel free to add other things as it pops into their mind. And then they usually take a picture of it because I don't have a big enough whiteboard and we erase (laughs) it. And then we go, okay, but now we got to look at how to cope, how to go one foot in front of the other. What are the next steps? And some of you have heard this I don't even know. What am I at? A thousand times by now, Crystal? <laughs> you should keep track. <laughs> when I tell people, like, if you'd come to me and uh, you're asking about what to do, and I say to you, well, Crystal, you should just pray more. You should really hit me upside the head because prayer is good and important, but it's not the only solution. Mm-hmm. Or you could say, well, Crystal, you should just have a good night's sleep and I'll go away. Right. Well, that's not true either because sleep is good, but it's not the only solution. Those are my two classic examples. We actually are whole. We have a body that God's given us. We have a mind and emotions. That's the second part. Third part is we are social. We're created to be in community. And we're spiritual. And so we need to do a variety of things to take care of ourselves holistically. And so I may do a circle and I divide it into four parts. Physical, mind, emotions, social, and spiritual. And it helps to put that on a piece of paper or whiteboard too and go, okay, so then how do I start to take care of myself in these areas? Yeah. The other way you've described it before we go into detail mm-hmm. is like four tires on a car. Yes. And that one's super helpful for me because I can think of, you know, these each of these as being one tire. Yes. And then think, oh, how many of my tires are flat right yeah. now? Like how many of them do I need to inflate in yeah. order for me to actually be able to drive properly? And so think if you think of these as a little bit of, they all are interrelated, yeah. but think of them as compartments a little bit or as individual tires, it helps too to think about, well, yeah, of course, if four of my tires are deflated because I'm not working on any of these things, I'm stuck. Yeah. So it's an easy way to remember that we need to work on all four of these areas. So we'll quickly cruise through it. I have handouts like this. You can also come and meet with me. Um, But just think of it in terms of like, we have to care for our body and our mind and our social life and our spiritual life. And if there's one area that's really deflated in your life, I hope a warning light goes on your dash. Yeah. I hope you start to realize, okay, I need to do some work. Yeah. Because I can't give you a magic pill. This is actually intentional work that we all need to do. Yeah. So physical, Crystal, what yeah. do you do? So in terms of physical, there may, not a magic pill, but there may no. be medication that you need True. to take. Yeah. Uh, there may be sometimes when people are significantly in situations of anxiety or depression, going to a doctor is going to help. So part yeah. of your physical examination is to see 
um, whether your iron's low, low or right, mm-hmm. whether your thyroid is good or bad, whether there's um, maybe medication that you need to have, either even like diabetes medication. I know my husband before he got diagnosed with diabetes, had a lot of mood issues that were solved when he got on medication. Right. So it might be those kind of things that are physical um, that you need help with, exercising, eating, sleeping. Yeah. That's all going to make you feel better. When I worked at mental health years ago, we weren't actually allowed to do any strategies to work with people until we had got them checked out by a doctor. Mm -hmm. Because we know that if you're not sleeping well, nothing else really works very well. And if you're eating too much or too little it's not going to go very well either. And so sleeping, eating, exercise, really critical, like you said, doctor medication. I add in, if there's anything else that helps your body, like mm-hmm. a chiropractor, massage, physio, that will help your mindset. It will help your, just you grow spiritually. It'll help everything. It'll help you feel better mm-hmm. to do everything else you need to do. The next area I talk to people about is the social area because we're actually created to be in community. So I would encourage people to have at least a small group of friends one or two or three friends that you can confide in, that can pray for you, laugh with you, talk with deeply. I don't actually need you to tell everybody. You don't need to blab it out on social media or come into church and tell everybody, but a few. Maybe you have some supportive family or a supportive spouse or community group or hobby group. You need to be with a few people. And not every day, like we're different. So somebody might say, well, I can be with this person on Tuesday for a 20-minute walk and this person I can talk to on Thursday and then I'll see somebody at church on the weekend. That might be fine for someone. Someone else might need seven days a week, which is fine too. Yeah, and I think it's important to be ready to accept people kind of at different levels of intimacy. Like Mm -hmm. it's great to have a hobby group where you like doing something in common, but you don't necessarily have to do everything in life with them. No. But that can still be part of your pick-me-up in the week to know that you're going to go do art class with somebody or go do horseback riding or running, right? Um, So I think if we expect everybody to be at a certain depth or level of intimacy with us, it can be disappointing to us. But we can have just people who are casual, fun people in our lives that can also be part of our emotional and mental Health. Absolutely. Social health. Yep. A huge red flag for me in this area is if you have a friend or family member that is basically pulling out of all community. If they are not coming to church anymore, not coming to youth group, not coming to whatever hobby group you have, not coming to family gatherings, if they are isolating themselves, that is a big danger sign. Somebody who's spending too much time alone is probably not healthy and you probably should check in with them and make sure there's more support. Yeah. Uh, That's really not good. Yep. Uh, The third area we talk about is that as Christians, we are spiritual. We are actually intended to grow spiritually, even in the most difficult times. So I always ask people, whether it's a good time or a bad time in life, how are you growing? Mm -hmm. Because again, red flag is people drop out of everything spiritual. They don't come to church. They don't read their Bibles. They don't don't go to their community group anymore. They're just stepping out of everything, which is really not healthy because that's when we need people around us. That's when we need to be plugged into churches when things are not going well. And that's when we need God's word and we need prayer. Yeah. Yeah. I'd really rather people come to church and cry the whole service, sneak in at the last minute and then quickly leave before it ends. Yeah. Because in the middle of it, you're reminded of great truths of who God is and yeah. how he loves us and cares for us. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be a one size fits all. Some people like reading scripture. Some people like listening to scripture. Mm -hmm. Some people love podcasts. Other people love blogs. Yeah. Um, There can be different ways that we can invest in our lives and get us thinking about spiritual things. Yeah. Uh, Retreats or conferences, music, like worship music is awesome for getting our mind fixed on other other 
pieces of her life. So when parents come to meet with me with their teens that are grieving or young adults, if their teen or young adult is going to youth regularly and is in church, uh, maybe participating in the middle school, like with Josh over here, um, <laughs> that, that's a good sign, right? Yeah. That's healthy. That means that it's not as bad as it could be. And so we encourage those things that help spiritual growth and help a social connection. It can be all at the same time. Yeah. And then the last one I go to is because it it's the hardest for me to explain. But our mind and our emotions are really important to God. He created them. And we need to have things that help us when we're really deep down in the muck, when it's really sludgy and we just need to take the next little step up and then the next step up, like a staircase or a ladder. And these are just things we do intentionally that give us a bit of a brain break. Like we sometimes, the grieving is so difficult. And so you need to just watch an easy movie or go for coffee with a friend or I don't know, lots of activities. What are you thinking of? I'm just thinking of grief specifically, like a certain program too that can help you deal with it, like the grief share or divorce care. Mm -hmm. There's programs at church that can help you work through your emotional stuff and your mental stuff. Yeah. Meeting with a pastor, meeting with a counselor. These are options we help you do through church. Uh, Healthy hobbies. Just think of some things that bring life to you, even if it's for a few minutes, like whether it's, I don't know, hiking, running, gardening, baking, music. Reading yeah, a good reading. fiction book. Yep. Adult mm-hmm. coloring is popular. <laughs> I'm amazed at how that's taken off. But yeah, things like that. Trusting, with, talking with a trusted friend or a family member. These are things we need to do to care for our mind and our emotions. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be spiritual, always. A lot of people come to me and they feel really guilty because when they have free time, they feel like they should always be picking up their Bible. Now that's good and that would be totally great. But it's actually okay if you enjoy hiking or running or doing something else that's just a break. Yeah. God created us with all kinds of interests and intrigue. And like we love watching our kids do things they love. God loves watching us do things that that we love, that he's put within us, you know, things that are healthy, right? Yeah. And so I usually give people a handout and it gives them a little bit of a recipe for how to take the next steps forward. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't lessen the pain. The pain will still be there. It's very difficult for many of the people going through all kinds of grief But it just gives you something to hang on to, to know what to do. Okay, sleep, eat, exercise, get together with friends, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it helps us remember if we do like a little bit of each of these things, Mm -hmm. uh, it can slowly lead to more health. Like we don't have to tackle everything all at once, but maybe pick one thing this week and then another thing the next week and then another thing in the future and just slowly kind of put air in all those tires. Yeah. We can. Yeah. And then people ask me for resources. So I have further resources. We offer counseling through Northview. You can come and talk to any of us, uh, Paul Siemens, Vic Schellenberg, myself. And then we have all kinds of books and resources that may suit you or not. A really favorite, uh, one of my favorites is by Nancy Guthrie, When Your Family's Lost a Loved One. It's excellent. Timothy Keller, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering is really good. And then we have all kinds of little booklets. So if you're facing like a suicide or um, like someone that has either attempted suicide or has completed their life that way, that there are little booklets that we can help you uh, get access to. Mm-hmm. So why don't you pray for our listeners Yeah, as we end the podcast, as we go through the season? Yeah, that'd be great. Lord, you know each person who's listening. You know their family and their friends. Lord, we're so thankful that you love us so much that you listen to us and you know our pain and our hurt and our suffering. And even though it's December, you're walking with us and we we are thankful that you are the comforter. And that you are our refuge and strength. And so, Lord, as you know the listeners and what they're going through, I pray that you would be their comforter, that you would 
provide practical support around them, whether that's family or friends or counselors or a pastor. I pray that uh, you would help them through a variety of resources like books and podcasts, maybe even this one. Lord, we um, put all of our listeners in your hands and we thank you that you are able to help us. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.